0: Tomorrow, I, I start a week of a vacation, which is great, of course. I've been really looking forward to this week. But still, if there is one thing that my vacations are particularly good at, is that reminding me just how much I suck at taking vacations. <laughs> or at least on doing what we should be doing with our time off. Like resting, taking a break. But I, I find it difficult to stop. I find it difficult. I find it difficult to turn off and just disconnect from everything. And this year I have found this particularly difficult because I'm coming from an extremely hectic semester. Those of you who are in OIC know this, but with the combination of studies and work, so sort of double, double down on everything. And throughout the semester, I was looking forward and sort of telling myself, it's like the candy in the weekend, you know, keep it thinking on the candy to survive the week. And I kept on telling myself, looking forward to when my studies finished, and I could slow down the tempo and have more time to do my work properly instead of just squeeze it into the little time I had, and more time to spend with my family. And then after that would come vacations and the week in the beginning of July now and the other one now. And I would truly rest. At least that's what I kept telling myself. But once I was done with my studies and things started slowing down in OIC and around in the city as as it does in summer holidays, I found that it wasn't that easy (laughs) to get my brain and my inner self to follow suit. I had been running on high gear for so long that I just, it just kept spinning internally at the same temple and I couldn't bring it down. And I was doing less things, but I wasn't managing to slow down internally. I find it hard. I find it hard to stop, to slow down. And then, besides my sort of internal turmoil, there's also the turmoil of the world. We, we live in a time of profound unrest. Wars, pandemics, economic instability, natural catastrophes, and looming over all of that, the reality of climate change. And it can be hard to disconnect from all of that. In a sense, we shouldn't. In a sense, we're in the mess we are because we keep on pretending these things are not there. But can we rest in the middle of it all? How do we take a break? What does that even look like? Is there room for rest in a collapsing world? Is there a place for rest, for stillness, and the chaos that, that is living? These are the troubles of our day, but troubles are not new (laughs) to human existence. So into the middle of all of this comes Psalm 46 with an invitation for stillness. Every summer in OIC, every break, even though we're still here, but We're in sort of the holiday mode. (laughs) And every summer, we take time with the psalms. We look into them. And the psalms, which are this collection, this um, compilation of songs and prayers uh, that were compiled into this book that we now, in our Christian Bibles find it, in our Christian scriptures find it more or less in the middle there. And it's this collection of songs, uh, of prayers, of chants, that were composed for and or, depending on which one, used uh, in the community and a practice of faith by a community throughout the age. Through communities, actually. From the Jews to the Christians uh, throughout the ages. And the Psalms are are special in that they are directed to God. We also understand them as word of God to us, right? So every, every summer we spend some time with these Psalms and try to figure out what do they, how do they speak to us today, but also, can they be part of our practice of faith, of our way of speaking our faith, and of our practice of worship and prayer? And today I want to share with you, in the context of this reflection, I want to bring to you Psalm 46, and, and I don't want to, I actually used to do this, and this year I was slipping a bit on it, uh, but today I want to do a. We have, has actually been a bit of a tradition here, which is to not have the projection so that you can listen to the psalm. Because the psalms, as I, I spoke a bit about this last week, for those of you who were here, but the psalms come from an oral tradition. And we're so used to engaging with information through reading it and, and understand it in a certain way that sometimes it's, it's good to slow down and listen. So I want to invite you to engage with this psalm also from that perspective. Uh, so to listen as I, as I will read for you from Psalm 46. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So says the psalmist Be still and know that I am God, sings the psalmist. And even before that, it says God is refuge and strength. But though these welcoming descriptions of God, refuge and strength, though they are there already in verse 1, in the very beginning of our psalm, there is even before them a little pronoun that I found carries the risk of derailing our reading and our singing of this song. And that is the pronoun are, are. God is our refuge and strength. The risk is that in the pronoun is that we misunderstand what this psalm is all about. Because we don't come to the psalm empty-handed and empty-minded, right? We come with a set of expectations, with a set of experiences. We come with a lived life inhabited with all sorts of concerns and preoccupations and aspirations. And that's very normal. It's it's probably unavoidable, and in many senses, it is actually good that we come to the Word of God with all of that, that we come to Scriptures as a revelation from God with all of that. That That is actually all fine and well. And I don't want to pretend that we don't do that. The problem is if we're stubborn and refuse to let our expectations and preconceptions be challenged or be changed and if we keep on trying to sort of force this scripture and force this word into that set of expectations that we brought. If we don't come into a dialogue with the scriptures but a monologue from our part. And it's a bit like if we got a, a cookie cutter. Like one that is shaped and it's cut in the shape of ourselves, right? You see these little like gingerbread man ones, right? And we get this little cookie cutter, shaped like ourselves and shaped like our preoccupations and our agendas, also our theological agendas very often. And then we go to this huge slab of rock, and we start pushing against it with the cookie cutter on the hope that we can fit that stone into our little cookie cutter or that we can at least cut some of that rock into it so that it can fit into our little shape the only thing that we will get out of that kind of effort is frustration and bloody hands so as we Read Psalm 46 in a search for rest, for stillness. We can try to cookie-cut the revelation of God. To say, okay, God, I got all this stuff going on. There's also all this other stuff that is going on around me, around us. All this other stuff out there that we have to deal with and live with. So I want to make a pit stop so you can tell me what to do. So you can equip me to deal with it. Give me some courage, give me some strength, and all of that. And then once I've done that, I can go and sort of unpress pause and just move on with my life. Because isn't that often how we do this kind of stuff? We we come to God with our problems, with our plans, with our struggles, and so on. And we do that not necessarily in order to be close to God and share of these struggles in God's presence, but in order to get a solution, to get guidance, to get an advice. And then we go to the scripture like that, looking for clear advice that I can directly apply to my life. And in the end of the day, we're going to God because of us. And again, that might be somewhat unavoidable. I think we always go to God because of us. But if we aren't aware of it, then we might miss out on the invitation. So today I could have tried to sort of twist Psalm 46 into my liking and make it be about my current concerns and our current concerns. But it's not. It's a psalm about God. It's a psalm about God. That's why that little pronoun is dangerous, right? Our refuge and our strength. In the sense that we walked into it. Not in the sense that it belongs to us. Psalm 46 is about God. And Psalm 46 actually has a movement, almost like a sort of a cosmic dance, that is a movement that goes from God and towards God at the same time. that invites us into God from the beginning to end and throughout. Now, the psalm has three main stanzas, so three main sort of blocks, right? Poetical blocks. This is the structure of the psalm. And in each of these blocks, they tell us that it is ultimately about and up to God. They present us, the psalmist presents us God as above all things and as a God of mercy through all things. The first stanza looks at the reality of creation. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The second stanza looks at the world of society, of culture, and of, we could say nowadays, of urban reality. Right? There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. Now in both of these stanzas, the psalmist starts, and this is the, the, the dynamic, this is the poetic dynamic of the psalm. This is the landscape that the psalmist is painting for us. The psalmist starts by saying something about God that establishes God as the safe place, the place of peace. And then the psalmist goes on to speak of all that is not Peace. God is our refuge and strength, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the desert, the mountains quake. And he describes the city with God at the center, only to go to speak of the nations in uproar, the kingdoms falling. So the psalmist establishes God as this space of peace. And then goes on to talk about everything that is not peace. These two first stanzas, they speak of God's steadfastness, (laughs) of God's power above and beyond the course of history, uh, as well as speaking of giving us these whispers of his mercy, God's presence in the middle of it all. And then the final stanza, the final part of the psalm, presents God's definite and final power over all of time, and it casts sort of this prophetic glance towards what we might call the end of times, if we want to think of time linearly. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. And here the psalmist is glimpsing into possible future that his faith gives him reason to see right the lord almighty is with us the god of jacob is our fortress come and see what the lord has done the desolations he has brought on the earth he makes war cease to the ends of the earth he breaks the bow and shatters the spear he turns the shields he burns the shields with fire he says be still and know that i am god I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Verse 10 wraps up these two first parts, right? These two first stanzas. God will be exalted among the nations. God will be exalted in the earth. So what does all of this have to do with my cookie-cutter analogy and the yearning for rest and stillness in the middle of the chaos? Psalm 46 invites us to look at God not as a distraction from our fears and our problems, And Psalm 46 also invites us to look at God not as a solution, in that sense, for our fears and problems. But as a foundation for our life. That's a very different way of going about it. To see God not as a pragmatical problem solver. or a hiding place in the sense that it blocks out everything else, but as an existential anchor because he is God. As this place of peace in the middle of it all. And if we want a glimpse of what this looks like, we as Christians turn to Jesus. We turn to Jesus who, being God incarnate, brings into himself the fullness of the experience of the Psalms and of our own experience and also the fullness of God. And there's a very revealing text in the gospel according to St. Matthew where Jesus echoes the theology of this Psalm. And we find it in Matthew 11, and I'll read it for you. Matthew 11 from verse 25 to 30. existential anchor of God at the center and also this call to be still and know that I am God. Come to me. And this again is one of the ways in which the gospel writers help us understand that this who is speaking is God himself. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And in the Gospel of St. Matthew, this affirmation comes in the context of a deeply Trinitarian proclamation. Deep into this dance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these names we have found to name the unnameable, to explain the unexplicable, All of this comes into this deeply Trinitarian proclamation. It is because coming to the Son is coming to the Father that those who came to Him will find rest. Again, God is the refuge in Christ. This can be a profoundly challenging call. Be still and know that I am God. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A call to reorient our lives and our hopes and our fears by the revelation that God is God that God is present and that God is steadfast in his mercy and that God is acting and has an interest in renewal and redemption and that God can be a place of stillness and rest, not outside and beyond the storm, but in the middle of it. The invitation is for today, it is not for tomorrow. It is not for the end of times. It has the taste of it. It has the anticipation of it. But it is for today. And it is challenging because it removes us from the center and it demands that we be attentive to all that is under the care of God's mercy and God's redemptive will. It is a place of rest and nearness to God that demands that we are sensitive to us and to our neighbors and to our enemies and to creation itself. It is challenging because it is a call to a kind of active rest. And what I mean by that is that it is not a rest that withdraws from or ignores, but it is a rest that is nested in hope. Nested in the resilience of goodness and the resilience of beauty. And to be honest, in these times that we live in, that is something that I find I need much more than a vocation. Hope. Resilient hope. Hope that gives me a place to enjoy the goodness and the beauty in the middle of everything that is also broken and all the ugliness. That gives me the strength to act even if everything else states the contrary, (laughs) that the stream is too strong, gives me the vision to keep on swimming against it. There's no rest if we're taken by despair. There is (laughs) no real rest for the world beyond us. If we become indifferent. But here the psalmist and Christ invite us into a rest in his presence, in the presence of a God who insists in acting in the middle of history. Isn't that the witness of our scriptures? If anything else, a God who insists on. Allowing flowers to blossom, even where the ground is getting toxic. Who allows goodness to come from exceptional places. Who gives space for hope in the middle of it all. It's not always easy to, (laughs) it's not always easy, it's pretty difficult (laughs) to see how, how this can all wrap up, right? There's a lot of evidence to the contrary. But here's a sacred invitation. To nest in the hope that God is with us. And if all that does in our lifetime is to give us some breathing spaces and the strength to care and the strength to show grace and the strength to show love, and the strength to insist on compassion, and the strength to insist on change, then I believe it's worth it. And I believe we'll be doing the work Christ has called us to do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that He is gracious towards you. May the Lord turn His face towards each and every one of you, towards the joys and the struggles of your life and of your day, that He may bring you of His peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the world and serve each other and serve the Lord joyfully. Amen.